Welcome to Can You Hold My Attention? I'm your host, Eric Root. Thank you for tuning into my podcast today. On this show, I invite some of the most important and exciting leaders in wealth management and fintech to discuss and debate the latest trends and hottest topics facing financial advisors today. So why should you listen to this show? Well, my goal is for you to learn one or two ideas that will help you run a better business and or become a stronger leader. These shows have been a blast to do, mostly because of the great guests and the interesting conversations we've had. You can follow Can You Hold My Attention on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. I remember meeting Tara Vanderveer, the head coach for Stanford University's women's basketball team, about 35 years ago when I walked into the basketball arena on campus. We were both freshmen in a sense. Tara had just arrived at Stanford after serving as head coach for Ohio State, and I was in my first year on the farm playing my frost season on the men's team. I recall Tara saying hello and being very friendly. I also remember the very determined look on her face. Little did I know at the time that her determination and her amazing coaching talents would lead to 35 seasons as the head coach, qualifying for the NCAA tournament 32 out of those 35 years, and importantly, winning three national championships. The most recent championship occurred on April 3rd of this year, as Tara and her team persevered through a season riddled with COVID challenges and setbacks to beat the Arizona Wildcats and become the NCAA tournament champion. Tara was named the Women's Basketball Coach of the Year, and she adds this award to countless other honors throughout her amazing career. I think the most impressive stat is that Tara has the most wins of any women's basketball coach in history. So that's all pretty awesome, but why is Tara on a podcast that focuses on the financial services industry? Well, that's pretty simple, because there are so many aspects of our industry that parallel what occurs in high-level competitive sports. Demonstrating effective leadership, managing through adversity, recruiting and developing talent, winning, I could be talking about sports or I could be discussing the most important aspects of our business and our leadership. There's so much we can learn from successful leaders such as Tara Vanderveer, and that is why I invited the national championship coach to be on my show. Thank you for being on the show, Tara. My pleasure. Thank you. So first of all, congratulations on uh, another wonderful season, but this one obviously being capped off by a championship. Uh, I'm sure it's been a whirlwind, uh, what has it been, almost a month now, Mm -hmm. I think, since the championship. Uh, So congratulations. Thank you. It was was an amazing year. Um, I'm really proud of our team and it was it was really exciting to win the national you know win the national championship. It's been a while. Twenty was it twenty nine years? Is that yep. right? Since yep. the last one. Um, well, that that's amazing. I know that I'm so happy for the team watching the game. It was a gritty win to say mm-hmm. the least. I, I know you said that in your post game interviews, uh, but uh, you seem pretty calm, cool, and collected on the sideline. I was pacing all over the house mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> watching the game, but. Uh, but that was that was great. So twenty nine years is it? Was it equal amounts persistence and patience over over that period of time? 
You know, um, I think there's, we probably had 10 teams that could have won a national championship. Uh, we had, I mean, you know, I think we went to the final four 14 times and, and there were some great teams that even got beaten the elite eight, you know, sometimes it's a seeding, sometimes it's injuries. Um, so, you know, the stars have to be in alignment and, this particular year, um, you know, we had a, a very talented team, but we also had a lot of things go right. Well, with the exception of last year, obviously the tournament was canceled because of COVID. But uh, I think you've been to the tournament every year except for your first two. Is that correct? Correct. So that's like uh, I understand what you mean about the stars being in alignment. Uh, but you have you've had winning years ever since, and. You've been in the tournament every single time, but you know, you just, I think it was just your name, NCAA women's basketball coach of the year. You were a PAC 12 coach of the year, 31 and two season. Uh, I think you're probably most proud of the fact that you graduated. I think it was four seniors. One of them I believe is going on to the NBA. So I guess my question is what did you accomplish this year? It was just the stars were completely aligned. It seems like. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, um, we actually, this, this year is a kind of funny year because the um, players, it was a bonus year. And in some respects, you know, they didn't feel any pressure because they get the year back. The NCAA allows all the basketball players, male and female, to have another go at it because they didn't know going into it how long the year would go. And, you know, so um, we actually will only graduate one person. Kiana Williams uh, was drafted uh, by the Seattle Storm and went to the WNBA um, but all the other players are coming back. Um, so we should be um, we should be good to go next year, too. And we just started working out Monday. So we took a month off. And I think our team really understands. Uh, oh, we've had great workouts. And I think they really understand, you know, you're not going to rest on your laurels uh, next year. We'll be here soon enough. And, you know, we've got to get, you know, back on that saddle and get working. If I remember in coaching, you get a everyone thinks you get the whole summer off and you get started. <laughs> if I, I mean recruiting starts, uh, right. it's always going on, right? And uh, there's very little time off, um, so I'm sure you're you're already back at it. Um, as I was mentioning, you know, our our listeners are really in the financial services industry, wealth management industry, and I often, when speaking with financial advisors, uh, use parallels to the to to my my history in athletics and uh, in the sports industry. So I want to talk a little bit about some leadership parallels, uh, building teams, nurturing teams, but just wanted to first start with how, how you got into coaching. Um, I know uh, you're, you're from the East Coast. I know you got into, you played as well in Indiana, but how did, what led you to, to getting into the coaching business? Well, I, I kind of tease and say I fell into it backwards because uh, I majored in sociology. I went to Indiana, but I always watched basketball. You know, when I was growing up, there wasn't basketball for girls. There wasn't, you didn't have basketball camps. You didn't have varsity teams or JV teams or junior high teams. You didn't have club teams. So I watched basketball a lot. And uh, I think that, you know, then once I graduated from college, I, I thought I was going to go to law school, but I wanted to take a year, year off. And that was right when they passed Title IX. And I, I kind of ran out of money at Christmas and I went home and my dad said, well, what are you doing? I said, nothing. He said, well, you're going to go down and coach your sister's team. And so that's kind of how I started. And, you know, it was really a great start, um, you know, because I think probably the most important thing I learned was that everyone on that team is someone's daughter, someone's sister. And I try to remember that in, you know, coaching, um, you know, as you said, you know, sometimes there's a lot of, you know, you feel a, a lot of pressure in coaching. And, you know, I just want to remember uh, kind of what it's really about. 
So you had a you had a great you started off um, as an assistant, then you became the head coach at Ohio State. You know, people often ask why leaders in financial services who seemingly have great jobs and are experiencing a ton of success all of a sudden move to another role with another company in our industry. And in the early to mid 80s, you had a great job at Ohio State. You were on a roll. You went 28 and 3 in the 84, 85 season. What made you decide to 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 leave and, and take the job at Stanford? You know, um, I think it was a combination of things, but I, I think especially for women's basketball, you know, there was no pro league at the time. And, you know, in education to me, you know, Stanford is such a great education that I felt like, you know, I could offer a young lady a great education and an opportunity to play at the highest level of basketball. And to be honest with you, I was recruited very hard by the athletic director. At first I said no, because I did have a great job and I loved being at Ohio State. But, you know, the weather, the beautiful university, the, I mean, it just, um, and he was a relentless recruiter. And I learned how to recruit better because of, uh, because of uh, my athletic director, Andy Geiger. Um, and, you know, he, uh, he, he was a fabulous athletic director to work with. Well, I remember Andy well. Uh, I, I think I met him during some recruiting visits of my own way back when. And it's ironic that I think he, shortly after, uh, at least I left, I believe yeah. he went to Ohio State, right? He, <laughs> so he went I to the school that recruited. He went to Maryland first, but then he did end up uh, at Ohio State, right? Okay. I know. I was um, I was less than thrilled about that. But, you know, but fortunately, Stanford attracts great administrators and you know, I've worked with some of the best uh, players. I've worked with some of the best assistant coaches and I've worked with some of the best administrators too. So, you know, the whole system, the whole culture is really important. It really is a, a wonderful experience and I, I still cherish it to this day. We, uh, you came to Stanford the same year I came to Stanford in 1985. You've now been there 35 years, which is amazing and had an amazing career. Um, you've, you've, adapted. I know I heard you in an interview with uh, uh, on television. You said that uh, over time you've adapted the way you've coached. You evolved to the, the teams that you've coached. Um, but can you drill into that a little bit? How have you evolved your coaching style over the years? You know, I think um, a lot of places, you know, maybe recruit to a system. You know, um, I, maybe you think of that in football a little bit more. You know, this 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 program runs a West Coast system, or this program one runs a pro style system, or you know, um, you know, whatever different systems. But at Stanford, you know, we're really at the mercy of our dean of admissions, and our dean of admissions is about players that are, you know, have the academics. So there are some years where. We don't, we're not going to get players that fit a system. So I have to fit the system to the players. So that's, you know, we've done a number of different things offensively. I kind of really watch, you know, as we get our players and we get together and they're, we're playing pickup, you know, I watch them and I, I watch them in high school and I think, what are their strengths? What I try to do is maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses and try to figure out it's, it's like putting a puzzle together each year and it's different each year, you know, putting a puzzle together with, you know, different players, um, like who do I need on the court the most and then build around them? So, if, so for example, if your backcourt is, is particularly strong uh, for a couple of years, you're going to adapt a little bit towards a stronger backcourt versus the frontcourt, right? Right. I mean, we, we might run things offensively more, you know, more screens for the shooters or more, you know, spacing to let the guards penetrate. Um, we've, we've, uh, we've run a, you know, a number of different offenses for a while. We, 
Uh, I really liked running the triangle offense, which is a low post offense, but, you know, and uh, famous by, you know, Phil Jackson with uh, Michael Jordan at Chicago or, you know, Shaq and Kobe at, in LA. Um, but, um, you know, and, and we, we ran it really, really well and we had great post players, but the, the rules changed a little bit. They allowed people to be a lot more physical and we didn't have as big and as physical players. So we went away from that offense and went to something different. And then when we got, you know, different players, we went in, we, I kind of just look at, well, what's going to, you know, maximize our strengths. Well, I, I played for a, gen, uh, a gentleman, uh, Dr. Tom Davis, who recruited me there. And I know, you know, uh, Tom Davis, but, but he was a full court press the whole game. And I think right. <laughs> we found out after a couple of years that we weren't the type of players that uh, did well in a full court press. And he probably figured that out. And ultimately he, he decided mm -hmm. to leave Stanford, but, uh, but I, I hear what you mean. Um, there's a lot of people you, in our, you might like this. My next door, my, the man that lives across the street from me is Kent Seymour. You probably know you probably played with him. Well, Kent Seymour is not only a good friend of mine, and uh, we see eye to eye, literally, he's the same height as me, but uh, he's also in the financial advice business. Right. He's been a wealth manager for many, many years. So, yes, I know Kent well, and uh, he played for Dr. Tom. He took all those really, really low bounce passes that none of these, our big guys could ever get. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but everyone adapted in our business. Um, there's a lot of change going on and some of our business leaders don't adapt and they're finding it hard to, to get to the next level. So a lot of parallels there. Uh, let's talk about adversity. You faced a lot uh, over the last year and really two basketball seasons. It encapsulated two basketball seasons with COVID. Uh, but, you know, and there's been a lot of other adversity over, over time. But how have you adapted over the last year with, with your teams and, uh, and worked through it and then captured a championship? You know, this year has been very challenging for everyone. And I, I think I started with our team. The first thing I talked to them was your middle name has to be flexible. You know, this is going to be a different year. And if you're going to be, you know, if, you know, things are going to be different and you've got to be ready to, to change and go with the flow. So, you know, for us, as an example, they closed our gym. We couldn't get in our weight room. We couldn't get in our locker room. We're like, no problem. We're just going to, we're going to go to Santa Cruz and, you know, play out there. Um, I think that uh, our team was incredibly flexible and, you know, it, you know, a lot of young people these days are criticized as not having determination or resilience. Our team demonstrated both really well. Um, if you can imagine this and, you know, if, if you have, you know, if you're around 18, 19, 20, 20 or one year olds, uh, I never heard anyone complain the whole year. And we were testing every day, twice a day, sometimes, uh, take out food that was cold a lot, uh, gyms that were, the power went out and they're dark and they're slippery and they're wooden backboards. Uh, and people, you know, they just said, Hey, we're just going to do whatever it takes. And I think that some of our adversity off the court actually helped us on the court. We could just, you know, we could deal with things and, you know, our, our team did not, uh, we did not have a undefeated season. We lost two games back to back. And in some ways, some of those games helped us as much as, Anything else, just saying, hey, if we don't come out and play hard, we can get beat by anybody. Well, I mean, and you had you were facing this adversity on the court with basketball having to adapt. But but you also have I, I just recall this being a freshman software, some of the most amazing years of my life, even outside of the gym. And that escaped a lot of your players as well. So it, yeah. it is amazing when you talk about flexibility. That's got to be it, because how else do you get through? 
you know, especially as you're new to the university. Well, I also think that, you know, we had great leadership and something that we did, you know, when we shut down last year and we were not able to go to the NCAA tournament, we, um, we started Zooms every week, you know, and everyone's really tired of Zooms. But, you know, in the beginning, it was that that's the only thing you can do. So we did once a week. But our team leaders, we had great leadership on our team. Our team leaders organized three additional Zooms a week for one for each of the three freshmen and included a freshman, a junior and a sophomore. And then the seniors all were on. So the seniors were on four Zooms a week and they were totally committed to their incoming class, their 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 younger players and really help them, you know, get ready for Stanford, adjust to Stanford. And, um, you know, it was just uh, it, their, their leadership was really special. Well, let's dive into that a little bit and talk about leadership. Uh, when you say leaders, do you mean the captains on the team or or you're, you're basically your your seniors or what have you? Well, they 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 were captains, but there were other people that weren't captains that were also good leaders. And, you know, by example, you know, being on time, not complaining, doing what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, COVID is a challenge. You know, every day we stand in a circle six feet apart with our masks on. And um, fortunately, through the whole season, once we um, once we started practice through our whole season winning the national championship, we didn't have any player test positive. And, you know, when you're on campus and you're around other young people and I mean, this it, it takes a lot of discipline, you know, I mean, doing things like not getting on the elevator with other people, you know, you're not hugging people, you're not taking pictures, you're not taking your mask off, you're not eating with people. Um, it, it takes a lot of discipline, and I'm really proud of our team for that. So tell me, what, what are some of the characteristics you look for in, in, a, in a team captain or just a leader on the team outside of, uh, uh, you know, some of the, the, the more natural ones we would think about? You know, I think that you've got, you know, you for us, we usually have more than one captain because um, the captain is being a, a, a server. You're being someone that is, you know, you're a worker. Um, it's not just putting on the C on your jersey. But um, I think first you first we want floor leadership. When we're out on the floor and things are going on, we need someone huddling people up, talking to people. All right, this is what we're going to do. This is a play we're running, being vocal, encouraging people. Um, so, you know, floor leadership is really important and the X, X, you know, the X is an O part, you know, off the floor is equally important having, you know, so I think probably a floor leader has to be someone that plays a lot. Um, you know, and that was, uh, Kiana and Anna Wilson, our two guards, um, off the floor, those two were important, but we also had, um, an upperclassman who just is a really steady person, uh, not riding an emotional roller coaster, had great communication skills with every player, um, was was the same person if she played 10 minutes or two minutes or 22 minutes, you know, she'd have a great game and maybe she wouldn't play in the next game. And she, you know, she was very steady. Uh, we were fortunate to have that. Um, someone, you know, uh, just, I, I think that was, our team was steady. It wasn't like way up or way down. You know, even if we lost and we were upset, uh, we just said, all right, we're going to regroup. And, you know, our practice would, you know, we focus on goals that our team would do and, I think our, our captains and our seniors and our leaders, um, mess, we message the same way. Like they would say what I would say. Um, and they would, uh, so we are on the same page. Well, that's, uh, and I know that difference between the two leaders. I, I recall back when I was playing, there was that floor leader and it wasn't often the most vocal person on the team, mm-hmm. but, but they, 
um, but they resembled the coach and the coaching staff, what was important to them. And they brought that on a consistent basis to the team, and especially off the floor, because there's a lot of learning that goes on off the floor, as, as you know. Right. Um, but you also had another great leadership group around you, and you have since you've been at Stanford, and, that, and that's your coaching staff. And in our business, uh, the people and, the, and people being in the right seats is so important to our business. I know it is with your with your coaching staff as well. And um, so, tell me a little bit about what you look for in a, an assistant coach and why you've been so darn successful. And twelve of them have gone on to other coaching positions, which I'm sure you got to be proud of. I, I definitely am uh, going. You know, whether they've gone into. Uh, you know, they, some of them have gone into business, some of them have gone into coaching, but, um, you know, this past year with COVID, I actually hired two new assistants. One of my assistants took a head job at Las Vegas and the other retired from coaching and, and is, is working as a headhunter. Um, but, um, you know, I think the two assistants that I hired, imagine coming into Stanford during COVID, you know, I mean, it was extremely challenging. But um, I do have um, my number one assistant, the associate head coach is Kate Pay, and she graduated from Stanford. She was born in Stanford Hospital, graduated undergraduate, graduated from Stanford Business School and Law School. And uh, she really knows Stanford inside and out and is, uh, you know, extremely loyal and hardworking. And, um, you know, some of, I mean, I think it's just like anything else. You've got to have people that are sharp. You've got to have people that work hard. You've got to have people that, you know, you, uh, you, get, you get along with. We have fun, you know. Uh, you know, through, we, we never, like, we don't have, um, uh, you know, breakdowns or, you know, screaming at each other or, you know, we're on the same page. We, we work well together. And then I hired um, someone, Katie Stedding, who played at Stanford when you were here. And she's been a former head coach. So she knows what being a head coach is about. And she's a very hard worker, very intelligent. Uh, she and her husband work, you know, live at Stanford and, you know, she loves Stanford. And then I hired someone that I didn't know at all. Um, and she's been a great assistant. Brittany Anderson came from Virginia Tech, but she played for a former player, Bobby Kelsey. So, you know, the, um, you know, just what I'm looking for is people that will, um, will, will, will be the same messenger. You know, like we're, we might talk about things, we might disagree things, but, you know, players need to hear the same thing over and over from the coaches, not one thing from me and then one thing from a different assistant. So, uh, we're on the same page. We, we, we really are coordinate our efforts really well. And uh, I give them a lot of responsibility. Um, you know, I'm not a micromanager at all. I don't uh, think. Uh, well, I, I know that uh, Kate's brother, I still have bruisers from uh, when John pay, I played with him in college. And, uh, um, and I know Katie uh, very well as well. Like I, like you said, I played with, uh, I was there at the same time and great team. What do they, how do they bring out the best in you? would you say? You know, I think a lot of things start with trust. And, you know, if you trust the people you're working with, then you can be yourself. And, you know, you don't have to worry, you know, is this person doing something behind my back? Or, you know, are, you know, are they breaking NCAA rules? Or, you know, um, there's, I think that that's the uh, trust is the kind of the foundation of uh, great relationships. Um, you know, going beyond that is just probably, you know, really good communication, um, the ability to really have fun together. I mean, you know, when you're, you know, when you're traveling the way we're traveling, you're living out of suitcases, um, you know, you got to keep it light. You got to, you know, we had a, when we went to the final four, the first thing we did was buy a ping pong table. You know, we had a ping pong tournament. Uh, you know, these are young people. We want to have fun. We want to have a good time. And we did. That's great. 
That's that is so important, um, and you know, especially with I think at any time, but especially with COVID going on, that you just have to bring some lighthearted nature back to the to the team and understand that you have young people around you, mm. which uh, you know, in, in our business, we have we have trouble getting young people into our business, uh, but I think it's because some of the leaders in our industry don't adapt uh, the way that you you consistently do with your teams. Um, let's talk about something that I know is, is very important to you, and it's it's a big problem in our industry, as it is in coaching, and that is uh, both gender and racial diversity in the business. And um, I know that uh, I think it, I, I read somewhere that since the passage of Title IX in '72, uh, women's NCAA sports coaching roles for women's NCAA sports has dropped dropped dramatically, and, and particularly for Black women in the business, but. Uh, you've done a lot around this. I know you're very passionate about it. In fact, there's the Tara Vanderveer Fund uh, that was created by the Women's Sports Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. You know, like as you said, you know, when when Title IX came in, you know, before Title IX, the the AIAW was the governing body for women's athletics, uh, Association for Intercollegiate for uh, Women's Athletics, and um, it was. Um, you know, it, it didn't have a lot of funding. The NC, once the NCAA took over, and there's a lot more funding for women's sports, and that includes some, you know, pretty good jobs. Uh, someone like Kim Mulkey just got hired uh, at LSU, and uh, I think her contract is, uh, you know, over $22 million. Um, you know, that somebody better get with her and invest that, right? Right. But, um, you know, so as – you know, as money has come into basketball, women's basketball, um, you know, men have uh, taken jobs. And some of it is women have hired men as assistants. Um, women, male athletic directors have more of a comfort level with a male coach. Um, and so the legacy fund at the Women's Sports Foundation is giving money, uh, just you know, like um, money to help develop um, a, a pipeline for young women to get into sports and coaching all sports, not just basketball. So, you know, people that have money that they would like to, um, you know, build, be philanthropic. Uh, Women's Sports Foundation is a great organization, um, you know, obviously uh, tax deductible. And so the, the fund is a Tara Vanderveer legacy fund that uh, women can come out of college, they want to go into coaching, but, you know, they have, you know, maybe they're paying for school and this just gives them a little money to get a cushion. And I was on a zoom with the, the 10 fellows that were this year and they really appreciate the opportunity to maybe sometimes be in graduate school or just get their foot in the door to see if they like coaching. Um, you know, I think probably most organizations are best if there, if there is diversity, whether it's gender diversity, racial diversity, age diversity, because we all bring different things to the experience. Um, and, you know, in men's basketball is basically all male. You know, there are very few women. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of young men that are raised by women. They're taught by women all through school. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they've just got sometimes just, you know, just guys all the time. And I think men's basketball is missing out on not having women involved and what you see right now is the pro teams are adding women to their staff. And I think that that's probably a good trend. And, you know, going forward, um, having more women in, whether it's leadership roles or being part of your team, um, I think the teams will function at a higher efficiency. That That's so important. Um, 
And, you know, during the formative years, I think maybe if, if, if they're waiting until they get to the pros, that's that perhaps, I mean, that's great. But, um, but earlier on, I think it's very important because I know a lot of athletes are raised by, by women and going into an environment, I can only imagine the environment that I was in way back in 95, that would have been a lot of shock to the system, I would think. Um, and so, I mean, just imagine if your fund uh, had been in existence when you got into coaching, right? The, the, the number of women <laughs> that would, would we'd be talking to right now that are head coaching positions in all sports. Well, I think also, um, you know, we're we're dealing with a lot of uh, just uh, cultural issues of, um, you know, there there still is the idea that men do things better. Um, and like this year at the final four, uh, the three, four, three of the four coaches were women, two of the four were black women. And for a young, uh, woman or a young black woman, that has to be very in, empowering, you know, very inspirational to see, you know, someone like themselves doing what they want to do and, you know, help develop confidence that in fact, uh, you can do that. And a lot of the success of women's sports to be honest with you, is dads. A lot of fathers are are big, and not to say mothers aren't, mothers are too, but a lot of fathers have daughters and they're like, you know, no, we're not going to be in the, the, the little scrubby gym. We're going to be in the main gym. We're not going to take the rickety bus. We're going to take the real bus, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to be playing at the, you know, four o'clock game when I can't get there. We're going to be playing, in, you know, in the seven o'clock game. And you know, I think that there are a lot of fathers that have basically said, you know, my daughter is not going to be treated like a second class citizen in sports any more than I want her to be treated, you know, neglected in school. You know, I mean, right. um, so it's um, I think it's it's something that uh, is where, where it's a constant battle and we have a long way to go. But, um, you know, we welcome um, allies, uh, dads, uh you know, men that realize, you know, women can bring a lot to the equation and, you know, not, not that, uh, it's not going to, it's not going to shrink the size of the pie. It's going to be, it's going to make things bigger and better for everyone. Well, it's, it, it might be hard to measure, but I can't imagine that, um, results going forward of, of women in, in getting into sports, male or female sports, their participation at coaching levels. I can't imagine, all that we've witnessed over the last month with, like you said, three of the four women in the final four being um, uh, coaches and two of them being African-American. I can't imagine that's not going to have a major impact on coaching results. And then you add in everything that you're doing and other, other coaches out there doing to inspire young women to get into, into coaching. Uh, It's, it's going to have a major impact. So let's just measure that going forward because I, I believe it will. Well, I, I think it can actually, you know, um, sports is a microcosm of, of our world and life. And, you know, there might be some um, young girls and young boys that are watching that and thinking, you know, well, I want to be a soccer coach or I want to be, you know, uh, wh- whatever they want to be in, you know, and then they're seeing someone being successful. It can translate into more than just basketball. You know, they can say, well, you know, if she can do it, I can do it. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's a big part of, you know, kind of how we all experience things. You know, we, we look at people around us and we're like, well, Hey, yeah, if they're doing it. And that's what, that's what happens at Stanford a lot. You know, Stanford is, you see so many people being successful. I know that Jennifer Azy, who, you know, also, 
uh, came to Stanford and she was in the, uh, in the training room with uh, Janet Evans, who had been an Olympian. And, mm-hmm. and then Jennifer's like, oh, I think I'll go to the Olympics too. And she did. So a lot of, a lot of what we accomplish is, you know, just looking around and just, you know, kind of who we're around and what we see. So uh, it's great to have great role models out there. Well, in, in a recent podcast, I had a guest on named Rachel Robichotti, who is started her wealth management business at the age of 25, female, African-American, and has done remarkably well in her business in a short amount of time. And I know that she's inspiring people in our, in our mm-hmm. industry as well. But, it, but like you said, it, it crosses. I mean, it's, it's not just about coaching. It's about getting into coaching, leadership, uh, business positions, where, wherever it is that you have the, um, the, you're inspired to do that. And when you're around people at Stanford, that, that only is, adds more fuel to the, to the jet engine there. Well, you know, one, just one thing I think, the, the real similarity um, between, you know, what we do and what you do is that, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, in life, people want instant oatmeal. And my business and your business is what I'm going to call a steel cut. You know, it's not going to happen fast. You know, you're not, uh, if, uh, if it's really a true uh, great investment, it's not going to, you know, it's not like going to Vegas and, you know, putting money in a slot machine, you know, you're going to have to invest for the long haul. And in basketball, you've got to do the same thing. You know, you're not going to be a great player instantaneously. You've got to really enjoy the grind of, you know, every day working at it and working at your craft and working at your game. Um, and, and then it's fun, like, you know, going 29 years between championships, you know, people are like, oh yeah, that's a long time, but you know, you're always continue to work at getting better and doing the right thing. Well, you've had some amazing athletes come in like Jen AZ and, Mm -hmm. uh, Katie and others that, uh, I remember Sonia heading, I mean, there was a number of that came in that were amazing athletes to begin with. We had a guy named Todd Lichty, if you remember, and, uh, I mean, and he was the hardest worker on the team, in addition to being the best athlete on the team. So he just got better after that. And so most people don't realize that when people graduate, in some, in some cases, they don't graduate anymore. They go, they go to the NBA or the WNBA early, but they've put a lot of work into their game. They're just not natural athletes. And you've certainly been around a lot of those. Well, it's, um, it's, it's a slow cooker. It's not, it's not quick. And uh, I keep in touch with Todd. I saw him when he was on campus a little bit ago. We've, you know, we recruited some Australian players and, um, you know, I see some of your other teammates, Eric Reveno and, uh, you know, just a, a great group of guys. Well, uh, Todd's even developed an Australian accent. And when I saw him last, I thought he was faking it. But yeah, it's, yeah. when you're, I guess when you're there 25 years, you, you get an accent. Um, but, uh, well, I want to just ask you one last question. And that is, you know, you've had, a lot of you've had a lot of great memories in your career, your 35 year career at Stanford. Uh, but what, what are the ones more vivid to you, the big wins or the, or the tough losses? Well, I, I'm probably sorry to say that um, I'm probably more driven by losses in that um, a, a loss. Uh, I hate losing more than I enjoy winning. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, you know, I love improving. I love getting better, and, but and a loss really sticks with me. And uh, just you know, I I have a hard time letting a loss go. But um, wins, you know, I kind of want to 
figure out how we can how we can get better. And obviously, a loss you want to see how you get better too. But um, you know, we've had a lot of tremendous, tremendous wins. Um, probably one of the I think one of the best wins ever was when we won um, our our first Elite Eight game to go to the Final Four. And that was at Stanford. We played Arkansas and we scored, I think, like 120 points. Uh, we had a six-point play where we made a three. They fouled us. We took it out, hit another three. I mean, that basket was big. Um, that was a great game. The band was playing. The floor, remember the springy right, floor? Right, right. Um, you know, I think I got home at four in the morning. I'm like, it doesn't get better than this. And then we're going to the final four. And I'm like, okay, hey, we're at the final four. We might as well try to win it. And we did. Um, you know, so that was really fun. Um, but – you know, one year, uh, I think we had a great chance to win. Uh, we had an 18-point lead, and we played Old Dominion, and we ended up losing in the semifinals at the Final Four with a team that uh, was a, I think ha- had a great chance to win a national championship. So more than anything, I just try to learn from the losses, learn from the wins, but, um, you know, just try to improve and be, uh, be someone with our team. The way I look at it is um, – I want to help our team get somewhere they can't get by themselves. And I think that that probably is something true for you too. And I, I, I kind of found this out. Um, one time I decided I would take piano lessons and I thought I could teach myself and that lasted two weeks. And what I did was then I got a great teacher and she was phenomenal. I made like three CDs and people were like, wow, how do you get so good so fast? Well, I had a great teacher. And so I, I, I want to do that for our players you know, take them somewhere where they can't get by themselves. And that's what a lot of people in our business want to do with their employees. And they want to take their clients as well. They want to get that, help them reach their dreams. Well, look, Tara, I'm very biased, but I think you're the best coach that's ever coached in women's basketball and perhaps the best ever in basketball, period. Um, so, uh, but, um, and I, and I can't wait to see what happens next year as I do every year with your team, but it's been a pleasure having you on the show uh, you're not going to get much time off. I realized that no. we talked about that earlier, but whatever you can enjoy the piano, enjoy what you do. And, and, Thank and, you. and congratulations again. And I hope to see you on the farm next time we can be up there well, and see each other. You know, we, we really missed our fans and I hope that, um, you know, we'll get through this COVID and we'll get back in Maples. And it was, it was, uh, it was very lonely, honestly, you know, we won games and we, we were excited to play, but, um, any fans that are listening, come on back because we, we're, we're excited. Well, thank you, Tara. Have a great day. And thank you for listening to my show today. You can subscribe to Can You Hold My Attention podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as through our LinkedIn page with the same name. Have a great day and stay safe.